0: Um, there's room here in this section. If anybody is nervous of COVID, you're welcome to come move over here. Um, I'm excited to share with you guys. We're going to be talking about a third part of our series on how to share the gospel, how to share your faith. So if you remember, the first week was... Thank you! You get a prize. Bethel Buck for you. Uh, first week was why. Can you see this? You can't see this, can you? Here we go. Is that better? now you can see all right first week is why then we talked about who and now we're talking about how okay so if you didn't catch these first two I'd recommend that you go back and listen to it um, basically God's heart on why do we share the gospel and why it's important to do that and then we talked about essentially every person that you've ever heard of that had a fruitful ministry of seeing people come to know Jesus they focused on who they asked God who am I supposed to share with and they began to focus on that and then guess what happened people got saved it's a- amazing, and so my challenge to you is as we're trying to establish the rescue pillar, as we're trying to get you guys to be people who are regularly seeing people come to know Jesus and follow Jesus, is have it in your heart God's why, and then start asking God, who do you want me to begin to share with? Maybe it's The homeless ministry downtown, maybe it's children after school, maybe it's uh, at the nursing home, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's your worker, whoever it is, but ask God, who do you want me to be sharing with? And then today we're going to do a really practical walkthrough on how to share the gospel. Um, Think to yourself for a quick moment. Have you ever actually shared Jesus, shared the gospel with somebody start to finish? Like purposely you went out of your way and said, let me help you understand who Jesus is and why. Have you ever done that? If you haven't, today is your day because we're going to show you exactly one way that you can do that to share with people. Does that sound good? All right, before we jump into it, um, I've got a video. So if you can pull up that video for me. Where do I need to move this so y'all can see? Just all the way up, it's okay? Okay, can you guys see the, okay, cool. All right, we're gonna play this video. Um, it's a seven minutes, it's called The Prophet's Story. And my friend made it, that's all.
1: The story begins with Adam and Eve who listened to the voice of the devil instead of God. They disobeyed, and mankind's perfect relationship with God was broken. They became the first to experience sin, and the death sin causes. They tried to hide themselves with tree leaves to cover their shame, but God was not pleased with these coverings. He covered them instead with animal skin garments. God himself made the first animal sacrifice to cover their shame. Adam and Eve had two children, Cain and Abel. Cain made an offering from the food he had grown, while Abel offered an animal sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. Why? Because sin demands death, separates us from God, and must be paid for with life. In Cain's jealousy, he killed Abel and led a large portion of humanity down a dark path. Hundreds of years later, things had gotten so bad that God said there was no one on earth that deserved to live. No one except Noah and his family. God called Noah to build a boat, a big one, and in doing so, preached this message. Judgment for sin is coming, and there is only one way to escape and receive the mercy of God, the ark. They laughed and ridiculed Noah until rain came from the sky and the water burst up from the deep while the people were unprepared. The flood killed every man and animal, and the world perished for their sins. Only Noah, his family, and the animals God had brought to the ark were saved. Then came Abraham, the father of faith. God told him to take his son and sacrifice him on a mountain. Abraham was disturbed by this command, but he obeyed God. He proved his faith with action and took his son to Mount Moriah. But just as Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, God stopped him and provided an animal to take his son's place. The animal redeemed, replaced, bought back his son. Blood for blood, life for life. 400 years passed and God sent Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, didn't like this, so God punished him with 10 plagues. For the final plague, God sent an angel of death to kill the firstborn son of every household, unless the people were commanded to sacrifice a lamb and put its blood on the doorpost of the house. If the angel saw the blood, he knew the children inside had been redeemed by sacrifice. Both Jew or Egyptian, slave or free man, if they obeyed the command of God, their child would be saved. If not, That night it happened just as Moses prophesied, and a great weeping went up all over Egypt and any household that had refused God's mercy by sacrifice. Later, Moses gave the people the Torah, in which God prescribed a ritual for covering the sins of the people. The offender brought an animal sacrifice to the priest, laid his hands on its head, symbolizing that his own sin and shame was transferred to the animal. Then the animal was sacrificed, its blood spilled, his sin was covered. King David and the Prophets followed the Torah given by Moses, but they wondered, can the blood of animals really cover the sins of a man, or are they signs and symbols pointing to the future? David prophesied of a coming one, a king, a messiah, a descendant of King David who would rule and reign in power, yet be a humble man with a heart of compassion. This messiah would be sinless, perfect, blameless, innocent. He would suffer and die and be a worthy sacrifice. He would become the great sacrifice. Jesus was born in a barn because nobody had room for him, born of a virgin, born pure, a royal but poor descendant of King David. Poor Palestinian shepherds and wealthy wise men from the east came to honor the child and testify that he was indeed the coming one, the Messiah whom the scriptures had promised. Jesus preached love, truth, peace, humility. He was a humble carpenter, but a brilliant philosopher. He offended religious hypocrites who cared about rituals more than loving God. But he was loved by the poor, the humble, the repentant, the sinner. He healed the deaf, blind, deformed, and demon-possessed. He even raised dead men back to life again. A homeless man, a wandering teacher, a revolutionary calling lovers of God to live full lives. Jesus even called God his Father and showed mankind that the all-powerful loves you like a daddy. God wanted to relate to humans as his children, but there was a problem. They were still sinful and God is holy. Man's sin, starting with Adam, had separated the people from their God, and the Messiah knew what he had to do to bring them back. John the Baptist prophesied of Jesus, saying, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was the Messiah, the Chosen One, chosen to become the Great Sacrifice. Having never sinned, He was holy, pure, perfect, and worthy to pay the price for sin. The Innocent One in exchange for the guilty, the Holy One in exchange for sinful people. He did this for His Father, to pay the price for mankind's sin, to free them from their slavery to sin to restore to them what Adam had lost, a perfect relationship with God. Jesus died on the cross not because of the Jews nor the Romans, but by the hand of God, His Father. God sacrificed Jesus to fulfill what was written by the prophets, that He would become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, yours and mine. But He didn't stop there. Three days later, God raised Jesus, the Messiah, from the dead as a promise to those who believe in Him that they too will rise again to eternal life. After this, Jesus promised his disciples that he would return again, but this time as judge and king. The Messiah is God's gift to mankind, that they would not die in their sins and be separated from God, but by receiving his sacrifice, they could be restored back into a perfect relationship with him. But like any gift, it's not yours until you take it.
0: So there you go. You can go home now. How to share the gospel. (laughs) I love that video. Our friends from uh, Antioch down in Waco, they made that for uh, the Muslim world. So they've got it in all these different languages, and they share it a lot of times over there. And I just love the way it ties in the whole thing, like start to finish, paints the whole picture. Because so often, at least in the American church, we don't talk about all of the Old Testament stuff. We just talk about Jesus on the cross, paying for your sins, that's all you need to know. But when you see the whole picture and you tie it all together, I think it makes so much more sense for a lot of people. So um, that's that's where I'm coming from when I share the gospel with somebody. I'm trying to paint that picture. I'm trying to give a little bit more of a full understanding so that people understand why all of this stuff happened. If you wanna watch that again, it's on YouTube. Just look up the prophet's story. And you can find it on YouTube. So let's paint the picture. Let's say you're, you, you've decided to get up the guts and you want to share the gospel with somebody. So now you've stumbled across somebody out here in the parking lot. <laughs> um, it's an evening time. You just left church and there's a skateboarder out here in the parking lot. And you're like, this is my moment. God said skateboarders. And here I go. I'm gonna share with this skateboarder. Okay, so you're walking up in that moment. How do you share the gospel practically step by step by step? The first step that you need to do If you're making notes, pull out your notes. Write this down. If you are making notes on your phone, Instagram and Facebook are not note-taking places. Um, First step that you want to do is love. You got to love people, okay? Why is love so extremely important? You cannot share the gospel with somebody without love. I guess you can, but it doesn't work. Have you ever walked by and you've got the guy on, I was at Huntington Beach just a couple of weeks ago, and there was a street preacher. He was standing on the beach, and he was just quoting scripture preaching the gospel as hundreds of people just passed by completely ignoring him because there was no love there was no connection there was no desire there was just obedience to share the gospel and it wasn't working why because first corinthians chapter 13 it says that all of your efforts are essentially worthless without love love has to be the foundation it specifically says in first corinthians 13 if I speak in all the languages of men and of angels, but I, and, and I, if I have prophetic powers, and I can see exactly what's going to happen in the future, and I can proclaim things prophetically, and it's right every single time. If I have the greatest measure of faith of all time, and I can pray for any sick person that comes across my path, and they are healed every single time, If I do all of those things, but I am without love, it says it is completely worthless. There is no reward for me because I am lacking who God is, which is love. Okay, So if you're going to share with people, you have to love. And what's important is that love is not necessarily um, like, love is a choice. Let's say it that way. Love is a choice. If you're walking down the road and you're not feeling love, you can have a choice and flip a switch and choose to step into love to care for the person that you're about to share with, okay? So that's great news because a lot of times I don't feel like love. (laughs) But love doesn't have to be a feeling. Love can be a choice, amen? So you've got to love. And one way to love people is to ask really, really great questions, okay? I think um, when people take time to learn about me and they ask me great questions, I feel really connected to them. Think about the last time that somebody really sat down and drew things out of you. And they were like, tell me about this. What would, what would you do if this could happen? Tell me about what, what's your favorite thing to dream about. Or if you could do anything in the world. Or what, tell me about your childhood. So they just keep asking question after question after question. When's the last time that happened for you? And when you were finished with it, did you feel more connected with that person or not? Chances are when you ask great questions, you get people talking about the three favorite things in their whole world, which is me, myself, and I. (laughs) If you get them talking about the things that they love more than anything else, they're going to naturally feel connected to you. Their guard is gonna be dropped down because you ask them questions. They're gonna feel like man, this person knows me, this person gets me, this person, they're on my side, because simply you stop to ask a few questions, okay? So asking great questions is a huge door, that is a door opener, especially when you're trying to connect to somebody to share the gospel. So start with asking good questions. Um, Keith Wheeler, he says that you are the salt of the earth, okay? So I got my cute little salt shaker up here. Um, if you put salt on food, it's tasty, it's good. If you unscrew the top and you pour it out, what just happened? You just ruined your food. Okay? So Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. So if you shake the salt on, on a little somebody that you're trying to share the gospel with, they, they like it, it's helpful, it's something good, and it, and it makes them thirsty for more. If you go unscrew your salt shaker and you dump it on somebody, you just ruin the experience, okay? So it's important to be wise and careful when you're sharing about Jesus that you are giving a little salt. You're not dumping everything onto them. So you're asking good questions. Keith specifically says this, salt is no good if you screw off the top and you dump it on the food. Salt is meant to be sprinkled. Too much salt hinders growth. Salt is meant to flavor the food, but not really be noticed. Salt makes people thirsty. Ask questions, live in a way that makes people thirsty, that makes people wonder. Jesus made people thirst, so make them wonder, is what Keith said. Keith also says that successful evangelism is these questions right here, okay? If you want to ask yourself, was I successful in sharing Jesus? These are the questions that you should be asking. Did you actually share about Jesus? Question number one. That's a helpful one, right? Um, What was their name? Keith says you failed at sharing the gospel if you did not catch their name. If you didn't take the time to find out who God made this person, uh, what their name is, you failed. Keith says, successful evangelism is what color were their eyes? Did you take enough time to pay attention to the details of who this person is? And did you make them smile? Okay, I love that concept. I love that idea. Successful evangelism is sharing Jesus, knowing their name, knowing what color their eyes are, and making them smile. Um, There's a guy named Carl Medeiros. That I really enjoy. He's a pastor. He is in Colorado and a lot of times in the Muslim world. And he talks about this circle right here. And he talks about evangelism. A lot of times we think that evangelism is, where did my pen go? Uh, Evangelism is like this. You meet somebody over here. Y'all love my art, don't you? It's so good. All right. You meet somebody over here and you're like, hey, um, welcome. I'm going to lasso you. And I'm going to drag you all the way to the feet of Jesus. (laughs) Okay? So in our minds, a lot of times, that's what we think of as evangelism. But evangelism actually is understanding that Jesus is the center of everything. And people are, are these little arrows. Some people... Like Drew over here is right here. He's like right by Jesus. He's running hard and fast toward Jesus. He's like super close to Jesus. Um, And other people are maybe a little bit farther away, but they're heading in the right direction, okay? And then other people are running the opposite direction. They're running away from Jesus. They're running out the doors of the church. They want nothing to do with Jesus. And everybody is on a journey. Every single person that you bump into, wherever you are, Whoever God said, go share with these people, every one of those people that you meet is on a journey and they're somewhere on this path. Their arrow is pointing somewhere. So successful evangelism in Carl Medeiros' eyes is not this, because that's really difficult, but it is this. People are going this way and you show up and you have a moment to put a little salt to make them think a little bit and you turn their arrow. And you just have some sort of meaningful conversation to help them stop for a moment and then reconsider their beliefs and reconsider the direction of their life. And you turn them towards Jesus because they're going to continue moving in the direction that they're moving, most likely. So if you can step in and kind of shift the direction, they're going to end up in the right spot eventually. That's the hope, right? So I love that picture. As you share with people, don't feel like you have to get them all the way there, but do feel like you are succeeding in sharing Jesus if you can just shift the mindset a little bit in people's hearts. Carl says, The hardest thing in our life is often to stay quiet and not share what we believe is truth. But sometimes we need to stay quiet so that their desire will be drawn out And they may become truly hungry. It's kind of the salt thing again. But if if you say too much, sometimes in evangelism, you will douse that fire. But if you just give a little bit of of something interesting uh, and you draw out that curiosity and they begin to move in their own towards Jesus, that is really powerful stuff that can change lives forever. Okay? So be aware of that. In doing this, you do not burn your bridges and hopefully have the opportunity to go deeper with them. We've got to give a, get away from our Western model of evangelism and then welcome them into church, start discipling them. Jesus discipled people from the very beginning, whether they were non-believers or not, all the way from non-believer to fully believing people. So in his first encounters with people, he was already discipling, already changing mindsets, already helping them understand the truth. Okay, so you've got this as your foundation of how to share the gospel, all right? Now we want to get into the practicals. So you just bumped into this person. Um, Eli, are you skating? You like skating? Oh, that's cool, man. Uh, your eyes are brown. I love your eyes; those are awesome. Uh, what's your full name? Elisha. Oh, I love that. Is that from the Bible? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Your parents—they must know. They must know God, huh? Okay, that's awesome, man. Listen, hey, question of the day. This is. I don't know why, but this is my favorite go-to kind of transition point from discussing loving them, asking interesting questions, trying to get them to open up, and then switching over to sharing Jesus. For me, it's worked really well in the past. I was, Hey, uh, random thought, question of the day, question of the hour, man. Have you ever thought about what's going to happen when you die? And you just go there, bam. <laughs> um, but you kind of paved the way just a little bit because they're like, oh, some, some question that's been on his mind, I, I guess he's been asking other people too. And it's a little bit like buffers that bam question. Have you ever thought about what happens when you die? Okay. So for most people, they will answer you, "Ah, um, uh, yeah, I mean, like, no, I don't really think about it. Oh, really? Seriously? You have no idea what's going to happen when you die? Uh, no, I mean, I guess I'll probably, I'll, I'll go to heaven, I guess, right? Probably. That's, that's probably a majority of the people that you stumble into that's likely to be one of their responses that they have with you. So if they say to you, oh, yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably end up in heaven, then my next question that I love to ask is, okay, tell me this. On a scale of 1 to 10, All right? Just trying to figure out where you're at in this thing. Scale of 1 to 10, how sure are you that you're actually going to be in heaven when you die? And it makes them kind of pause and get away from the super vague area and then put a number on it and get kind of serious about where their belief system is. Okay? So, um, hey, question of the day. You ever thought about what happens when you die? Oh, okay. Okay. Well, so you think you're gonna get to heaven? That's awesome, man. I love that. So, like, scale of one to 10, how sure are you that you're gonna end up in heaven? And let them wait. Just be quiet, let them answer. If they say, Oh, I'm a 10, I'm going to heaven. Boom. (laughs) No questions asked. I'm making it in, Uh, I'm gonna be in heaven then that's a great opportunity for you to stop and ask questions, why? Oh, that's awesome, me too, man. Tell me why, why are you a 10? How did you come to, to feel that secure that you're gonna make it into heaven? And let them share for a little bit and essentially you're just fishing to find out um, what is their theology and is their theology, is it biblical or is it not? And if there's things that are a little bit twisted, you're looking for opportunities to kind of open that door and share truth in that moment, Okay. Very few people are going to say that they're a 10. The majority of the people are going to give you like a 7 or 8 on the scale, in my experience. So if they're anything else, 1 through 9, if they give you any other number besides 10, then this is what i like to do next. I say, oh, that's awesome. So I mean like a a 7, that's pretty good. Like. That's that's better than four, right? So what, like, why do you think you're a seven? Like, oh, I don't know. I, I'm a pretty good person, you know, something like that. It'll probably go in that direction. It probably won't have a lot to do with Jesus. It'll probably be more based on works for most people. So then I like to bring up this next concept, which is the concept of the scales, Okay. So most people that you bump into who have not been in church, who don't understand grace, they really, even if they grew up in church, if they've grew up, grown up in a religious church, they likely have the belief that the way to get into heaven is doing enough good things and eventually you'll get there. And yeah, tied in there is you know some Jesus stuff a little bit, but definitely you've got to do the right things to end up in heaven. And if you do too many bad things, you end up in hell. So I'll say, do you feel like this is true? Do you feel like um, to get into heaven, it's kind of like a scale system? Like if you do enough good things, then you'll probably end up there. If you do enough bad things, you'll probably not end up there. Is that kind of what you're thinking? And they'll say, yeah, that's, that's, pretty, much, that's pretty much what I think. Well, listen, I've got bad news for you. If you think it's a scaled system, um, that's actually not how you get into heaven. And, and the, the scale system, it's a rigged system. Okay? Let me tell you who created that system. Uh, Back at the very beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve they fell and they sinned. Immediately, Satan came in and he began to teach them this religious thinking. He he created religion. He said, if you do this, then God probably won't be quite as mad at you. So you better go cover up your sin, go cover up your nakedness, put on something, do something before God sees you so that you can hide like the bad stuff because he doesn't want to see the bad stuff. And so from the very beginning, Satan created religion trying to teach God's people that if you do the right things, you will be accepted by God. And this is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a rigged system. And if you believe that's how you get into heaven, you will literally never get into heaven. Okay? So we explain this concept here. And then to drive it deeper, I I like this Dublin Dr. Pepper example. Anybody ever had Dublin Dr. Pepper, the real deal? Best friends, best friends, nobody else, best friends. Okay, Um, Dublin Dr. Pepper used to be like the coolest thing ever. Um, They went bankrupt and got sued by Dr. Pepper and it was bad and no longer are around. But Dublin Dr. Pepper, back in the original days of Dr. Pepper, they used cane sugar, to make the drink, and then in the war, I think they got away. Dr Pepper itself got away from using cane sugar, and they switched to corn syrup. But Dublin, the factory in Dublin, never quit, and so it tasted very different from from. It was the original recipe, um, but it tasted very different than what you're used to, and so. For a long time, you could drive to Dublin Dr. Pepper. They weren't allowed to ship it across these uh, lines because that'd be like breaking their agreement with Dr. Pepper, but you could drive to Dublin and pick up the original recipe stuff. And it was really good, okay? Perfection in a bottle. <laughs> and so I, I asked them, Have you ever had a Dublin Dr. Pepper? Um, or, or you can use a pure glass of water or something like that, but man, it's just, there's nothing better, right? It's so good. Well, listen, that Dublin Dr. Pepper, uh, it's perfect in every way. Now, if I were to pick up a a little piece of dog doo-doo, and I I put a little bit of dog doo-doo in my Dublin Dr. Pepper, is my perfect Dr. Pepper perfect any longer? Yes or no? No, okay. Uh, But no, 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 come on, come on. Like, it doesn't... I won't put very much dog doo-doo in my Dr. Pepper. I'll just take like a tiny little piece and just like a little tiny piece and I'll put it in there. Is it perfect still? No. Like, come on, man. What if I paid you $100? Would you still have this Dublin Dr. Pepper with just a tiny bit of dog doo-doo? No. Okay, listen. Heaven is the same way. God is perfect. God is holy. He is perfect. There is zero sin a part of him. And when we come in before him, the Bible says that even our very best efforts are like filthy rags before God because he is just holy. And it doesn't matter if you've stolen one stick of gum or 50 billion sticks of gum. It's the same. A little tiny bit of sin or a whole bunch of sin, it ruins perfection. Are you with me? And so in, in that understanding, we cannot be with God no matter how little you've sinned. Have you ever done something wrong in your life? Have you ever gotten angry at your parents and you shouldn't have? You acted a little bit wrong. Bad news for you. Uh, you cannot be with God in eternity because he is perfect and you cannot be, you can't, you can't be there. But I have good news for you. Romans chapter 3. Verses 19 through 23, I'm going to read it to you. It says, Now we realize that everything the law says is addressed to those who are under its scrutiny. This is for two reasons, so that every excuse will be silenced with no boasting of innocence. Basically, the Bible is proving that there is no innocence in the world. Every person is guilty. And so that the entire world will be held accountable to God's standards. Every person in the world is going to be held to the pure and holy standard, and there is no innocence. For by the merit of observing the law, no one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. Did you catch that? Verse 20, it says, For by the merit of observing the law, no one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. For it is the law that fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin. So this is proving to us the scale system There is no doing enough good things to be claimed righteous in God's eyes. It's impossible. You can't do it. Verse 21, but now independently of the law, separate of doing things correctly, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scriptures prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus. And now all who believe in him receive that gift. For there is really no difference between us. For we have all sinned or in need of the glory of God. Amen. So the Bible explains to us that... Righteousness cannot come from doing the right things, but it only comes through Jesus and his righteousness offered as a free gift for you in accepting that free gift. Okay? So, and and this is where the sacrificial system came into play. This is why Jesus had to come to the earth at the very beginning. And God started to teach his people about this through camels and don't Just kidding. That's a That's a sheep. You like my drawings, I know. Um, So God from the very beginning began to teach his people about the sacrificial system. In the Garden of Eden, God taught them there has to be death for your sin. Something has to die. Blood is the only thing that covers over sin. And then God with Abraham on top of Mount Moriah, when he went down to, he was called to sacrifice his only son, and at the very last moment god provided the sacrifice right and then god taught them at passover that when the, the blood of the lamb covers over your household then the angel of death will pass over and the punishment of death will not come upon your house and then he taught them this again on the day of atonement where they had the two lambs and they had the one they put the sin of the nation on and he would take it into the high priest would take it into the most holy place and he would present it before the lord And then they had the second one, which is the scapegoat. And they would send the scapegoat as far away from the camp as possible, presenting to them the idea that God takes your sins as far as the east is from the west and that the blood of the lamb pays for your sins. This is how you're right before God. So all throughout the whole Bible... If you're paying attention, you're gonna see God teaching his people about the sacrificial system and why there had to be a payment for sin. There had to be death for sin. And that is why Jesus came. Jesus came, he showed us how good God was. He showed us the love of the Father. He showed us how amazing God was and how he had invited all of us to be with him forever in eternity. And that's why when he died on the cross, he actually became the Passover lamb. He, In that week, if you study the scriptures, he literally did everything that the families and the lambs were doing in that week of Passover. He was inspected just like the lambs were inspected. Um, he, everything that they had to do with the lambs. Jesus himself did, even to the point of when the lamb was slaughtered, they would hold the lamb up by its forearms and they would, they would skin the lamb that way. And Jesus was put on the cross in the exact same shape, the exact same pattern. Uh, his bones were not broken because the lamb in the Bible, you weren't supposed to break the bones, but they did spill the blood so that the blood could be the payment. And in that moment when the lights went dark in the earth, All of the wrath, all of the punishment, every ounce of punishment for sin was poured out upon Jesus himself. Which means that there is now no longer any condemnation from God. There is no more punishment. There is no more anger. There is no more uh, wrath from God for sin because it was paid for once and for all. It's finished. So that's good news for you because now you don't have to die. (laughs) Praise the Lord. That's great news. You don't have to die. Jesus died for you, and God is not mad at you because he already poured out all of his wrath upon Jesus. But um, it doesn't happen automatically. The benefits of what Jesus did are not automatic. Okay? Uh, Has anybody ever had any kids that smelled bad? I have. Um, <laughs> Eli's <top. laughs> Um Listen, if you've got a kid that smells bad, just because you love them and care for them doesn't mean that they quit smelling bad. Something has to happen for the smell to go away. What do you have to do? You gotta go get them into the bathtub, get them into the shower. And when they get in there, you gotta make them get the soap and rub the soap all over the body. Just because the soap is powerful to take away the stink of the world doesn't mean it automatically works. It must be applied to the stink in order for it to make it go away, okay? And this is why we have to share the gospel because just because God did all of this doesn't mean it's automatic. People still have to apply the blood of Jesus. They have to receive the free gift that Jesus gave to them. And if they choose not to accept it, then it doesn't work for them. So we get to this point here. Where does that leave you? We've kind of walked them through the gospel. we walked them through the big picture. And now we're turning the point and we're getting serious about the person that's in front of you. So you say, listen, Where does that leave you? I don't know if you've ever heard the story like that before, but I'm interested in you and what's going to happen to you when you die. It's kind of like this. The whole world has been invited to be with God in eternity. God made a way. He prepared the feast. He paid the bills. He sent out all the invitations, and there's nothing stopping anybody from being with Him for eternity. However, the appropriation and the payment of sins has to happen. You got to get in the shower. You got to use that soap. Listen, if I invited you to dinner tonight, I said, "Listen, guys, we're going to have a feast tonight." Uh, have you ever been up to Vast at the top of the Devon Tower? Anybody? Super cool place, really great food, one of the best steaks in town. I'd love for you to come. I'm gonna have a feast tonight, six o'clock at Vass. I'm gonna pay for everything. Just show up, we're gonna have a great time. Food, drinks, everything, I'll take care of everything. Uh, so here's how you get there. Six o'clock tonight, I want you to go to the Devon Tower. Here's directions. I want you to jump on I-35 and head north. You're going to get off of Oklahoma City Boulevard, right? When you get to the river, you're going to take that left off of Oklahoma City Boulevard. Then you're going to turn right onto Gaylord Boulevard, okay? Just after that bridge where that train track is. You're going to head north for three blocks. You're going to turn left on Kerr Avenue. And then you're going to go like a few more blocks. You're going to turn left on Harvey. And when you turn left on Harvey, right in front of you is going to be the devon tower you're just going to drive straight into the devon tower when you get to the dead end that's the valet parking for the devon for the devon tower for vest so you're going to let them park your car i'll pay for it all i want you to jump out walk inside the double doors walk past the escalator veer off to the left past that huge water feature that they have and it's going to take you to the elevator go up to the 50th floor um up to the very 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 top and i'll be waiting for you So I invite you to this amazing, I'm spitting so much. Good thing you got your mask on. Um, I invite you to this amazing dinner. And then you want to come, but you don't show up at 6 o'clock. And I'm waiting. I'm at the top. I'm like 6.15. Where are you? I'm texting you. 6.30. Hey, food's about to come out. What's the deal? And you decided that you were going to come, but you were going to follow your own directions and you didn't get off of Oklahoma City Boulevard, and you went up to the turnpike instead, and then you got off on Penn, and then you went north instead of south, and you took the wrong directions. Whose fault is it if I gave you the invitation, I gave you the clear invite, the clear directions of how to get there, but you chose not to take me up on my offer, and you didn't pay attention of how to get there? That's kind of how it is with God and with getting to heaven. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this, verses 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is the way, but there's... A specific path, a specific way that you have to follow. You've been invited by Jesus, everything's been paid for, but you got to pay attention to the directions of how to get there. Matthew 7 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So doing things for Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. And in order to be with Jesus, you've got to know Jesus. You've got to accept that free gift and and follow him and become his disciple, follow his teachings. It's not just a prayer. It's not just a list of things that you do. It's a very simple choosing to be in relationship with Jesus and to accept that free gift. If I pulled out my wallet and I said, hey, I've got a thousand bucks for every one of you, come and get it. All you got to do is come and grab it. That's what it's like. It's all you got to do. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you are or what you look like or how old or how young. It doesn't matter. Just come get it. It's there for everybody, but you've got to make the choice to come and accept that free gift. And that's how it is with Jesus. So where does that leave you? Let them share for a moment. And then at the end, you want to pray with them if they want to pray. Say, hey, listen, could I help you connect with God? Does this sound like, a good thing that you want? You want to be a part of that feast that Jesus talked about? Do you want to be in heaven forever enjoying him? If you do, let me help connect the dots real quick, and we'll pray something like this. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for all that you've done for this person, and I'm asking that you would help them to know you personally, and you could pray a prayer, obviously, that's going to Allow them to repeat after you and communicate to Jesus, I want to know you. I want to follow you all the days of my life so that I can be with you forever in eternity. Amen? All right. That's my spiel. (laughs) Is that helpful? Okay. Um, You can take a picture of this if you want. I hope that uh, that's helpful for you guys as you're sharing with people. I hope that you have it in your heart of why we should share. I hope you have it in your heart of who you should share with. I genuinely believe if you don't take time to ask God who, you're not going to share the gospel with anybody. Uh, Whoever means never, okay? So ask God who, and then when it comes time, here's a great example of how to be sharing the gospel. All right? Love you guys. Have an amazing week. Next week is going to be really, really, really uh, exceptional. I think it's going to be great. So come ready. It's going to be a great time. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next time.